This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hi, this is Lou Roberts. This is Tyrese Campbell. And you're listening to the Every Step Along The Way podcast. Hello and welcome to your this very special Every Step Along The Way uh, podcast. So it's sort of, there's going to be an event coming up this week. Kent. Um, it's all about the obviously Frank Sue, uh, well well known, or maybe you don't know him as well as you should do, Stoke City player. Um, so we're going to hopefully put a bit more meat on the bone around that. And I've got a very special guest joining me today. So um, I'm going to let him introduce himself and tell you a bit about uh, why he's here. Thank you for inviting me onto the the pod. Uh, I'm Alan Lau. Uh, I'm the founder of the Frank Sue Foundation. Um, the Frank Sue Foundation was set up um, about five years ago now. Uh, actually, no, six years ago, sorry. Six years ago um, to promote uh, Frank Sue uh, and his legacy and also to help encourage more people from East and Southeast Asian backgrounds to be involved in football. Oh, fantastic. Um, so... Obviously, we'll, we'll we'll get very much into the the foundation later on. So, obviously, um, talking about Frank himself. Obviously, he was born. Uh, just to put a few facts out there. He was born in Buxton on the eighth of March, nineteen fourteen, uh, to a Chinese sailor father and an English mother. Uh, yes, that's correct. Young, second youngest of seven children as well. <laughs> and so, is um, I've had a busy life there. He started his career at Preston Cables. In 1932, and then just a few weeks later, he was scouted by Stoke playing for them, who paid £400 for him um, in January of 1933 and brought him in. So he debuted as an inside left in November. Now, away at Middlesbrough, which is quite ironic, seeing as Stoke went there yesterday. <laughs> um, but they, they lost 6 1, but obviously the manager sort of picked him out for a, so he was a standout performer. Now, Obviously, do you, you know, is, is there much to say around sort of obviously Frank um, and his early years there, sort of growing up in England? I imagine it was a, a very different time than you know talking like it's a hundred years ago. Oh yes, definitely, very a very different time back then, and very different for a person from a, a Chinese heritage, I guess, growing up in in Britain. Um, it's not like it is now, and I think he would have faced a lot of adversity in this time. 
and I think he had a very sporting family. Uh, all his his siblings are all very much into sport too, um, and obviously he was um, head and shoulders above them, and and was scouted in football. Um, so he grew up playing in the uh, sort of the back streets in Liverpool, actually. Um, so I think there's there's quite a lot of connections with Liverpool still. Um, he was actually playing for schoolboys in, in Liverpool um, before he went and pressed up. Sorry, Prescott Cable is obviously is obviously in in Liverpool also. So, yeah, there was he was very sporting, and I f- I feel that maybe that was what helped drive him through and the adversity he might have faced. I mean, four hundred pounds, obviously back then, you imagine was probably quite a, quite a big fee. I mean, would that have raised eyebrows? Do you think, uh, especially obviously with with the the heritage that he did have, that obviously became the first um, player of uh, Chinese descendancy to play in. Uh, the English Football League. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, anyone with a, a a price tag that is high would have had some pressure on him. But I think um, looking at some of the um, newspaper reportings, even at a young age, he was he was raising eyebrows, bringing people to games. Um, he was playing in the reserves for Stoke for a long time and increased the uh, the attendance for, for reserve games quite a lot too when he was playing there. So... But I think, you know, maybe back then it was it was different too. So I guess you know it, it, he just probably concentrated on his football and wanted to to achieve and, and strive. I mean, he did start to strive, didn't he, when Bob McGrory sort of took over as, as a new manager coming into Stoke, um, moved him to the half-back position, and he sort of became a regular then, didn't he, after a couple of years, like you say, in the reserves, uh, he started becoming a regular on the Stoke side, and I believe uh, just before World War II, the papers, the national papers actually were talking about him sort of, you know, being deserving of an England call-up. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um and the, and as well, he was he was actually named as captain in the uh, nineteen thirty eight season for Stoke. Um, so you know he he must have made a big impact then. And I think there was a lot of calls and a lot of pushes for him to become an England player. Um, but obviously, with many people during that time, the war um, came at a very bad time. And because he was he was only he was in his mid mid twenties at that time, so. You know, bang in the middle of the 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 golden age of his his career, I guess. So yeah, that was very tough for him. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, he, he did sort of play for England as well, didn't he, during the war? But I suppose with the um, the sort of a debate about whether they're actually sort of recognised as as full games as yeah. on records, which so, is a shame, really. For him. Yeah, so he played uh, nine times uh, in England. Um, International friend, uh, international wartime friend and friendly games, which aren't officially well. He wouldn't get get an England official cap, and he doesn't have a England um, number. Um, but he is recognised um, by parts of the FA for being the first person of colour to play for England, um, predating Viv Anderson by a good 20, 30 years. Um, so, no, I mean and. That's just part of the story too, because he did also represent England and FA and also a forces um, side, which did play uh, teams like Switzerland. They went to Portugal, um, played France. So even though he only played nine times officially, unofficially, he actually put on the free Lions shirt 
uh, several times after that too, and also captains the RAF forces teams too. You mentioned there, didn't you, that he was the first um, sort of non-white person to play for England as such. And um, he was also, uh, I believe, from what I've sort of the research I've done, the, the only, uh, still to this day, the only East Asian descent uh, player to play for, for England as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like I say, that's a, it was, we're talking, let's say, 80, 80 years on, and he's still... Yep. Still holds that sort of accolade himself, um, which is fantastic. I think it's very important too for for people from my my background, from my community, to see this too and understand. You know, see someone who's really made it somewhere in in the wider context in in Bristol too. Um, so yeah, no, it's really important that we sh- we shout about this and talk about this, and that is important that people know about it. Yeah, I mean, during the war as well. I mean, he was he was all over the place. One day, it was quite interesting. How I love I didn't really realize this, but players would go and sort of guest for clubs, weren't they? So he played for like yeah. nine or ten different clubs um, during the war. Obviously, I suppose it was where you were moved around for sort of work and things. Or um, I don't know he was sort of working at Mitchley Monty and Stoke, so he could use so he could stay local and play for Stoke. Um, That's right. But then he got, he got called up to the RAF, didn't he, obviously in 1945? Yes, so he was in the RAF and he was he was basically like a, a coach, uh, well, a, a trainer, a teacher to help um, the bombers and the air, uh, the pilots. So he was moved around the country and uh, you, you're correct in saying that he did guest appear um, for other teams. So he played for Chelsea a few times, he played for Brentford, so he must have been um, posted down down near London at that point and he also played for Newcastle uh, for a few games too so he was he was all over the country and I think that was quite common um, for many players at that time because I mean, the, what I know about the wartime football is everything got the the national structure stopped and they all got very regionalized so players could so football would carry on because that was one of the few um, one of the few bits of entertainment people could still go to, I guess. I guess it's very it's very similar to what we experienced, you know, a few years ago with lockdowns. The first thing that they opened up again was was football, wasn't it? So it's it's interesting to see what was done in the, during the war back then and what happened now. So yeah, he did he did travel around and he did play for several other teams. Yeah, and it's um it sort of became his undoing at Stoke, didn't he? That he did get moved away, and that um, as as he also did with Stanley Matthews, the manager Bob McGroy sort of fell out over the fact he wasn't available very very much, um, and his unavailability was sort of creeping up with obviously with him not being um, able to really, of no fault of his own, <laughs> due to what was going on, um, and he ended yeah. up putting a transfer request in and moving to Leicester. Yeah, that's right. So he was at Leicester for for a season. Um, I think that's very true. What I think what happened at that time too, because everyone was moving around, and I I'd, I'd imagine too that his age would have started to become an issue. So after the war, he would have been in his early thirties, which um, I guess even for now, most a lot of players would be coming to the end of their careers. Even though for for Frank, I think. He did look after himself a lot more. Um, he was very much well. He was teetotal, so he did really take um, 
fitness and his own personal health very seriously. I think very similar to Sir Stanley Matthews. It's always been quite publicised, hasn't it, about um, obviously Stanley Matthews' sort of detox diet on the Mondays and stuff after games. and um, So, yeah, it, it would sort of make sense to yourself that um, obviously Frank followed that sort of routine. They were both in it sort of, I suppose, would sort of be together with that, wouldn't they? And if they were at the, the club at the same time, um, that they both sort of had longer careers and were able to sort of push on as well, longer than what was probably expected at that time um, with the careers. But yeah, um, he went to Leicester and he was made captain straight away. Like I say, he was only there for about 12 months um, and then moved on to Luton. Yeah, that's correct. So a little bit of knowledge, well, I have a confession to make myself. I'm a I'm a Watford fan, so whenever I have to talk about uh, Frank Sue and Luton, it, I'm always I have to look past my um, <laughs> my club rivalries and uh, talk more about Frank, I guess. But yeah, he was at Luton for a couple of seasons, and it's really interesting to hear some stories from from fans of Luton saying how their parents would say, oh, I remember Frank, or their grand their grandparents say, oh, I remember watching him, he was a great, great player and stuff, So, which is very similar to um, a lot of Stoke, Stoke fans too, I guess. Numerous things, I mean, obviously Stanley Matthews was a sort of a local, I've mentioned him already, but he was sort of a local player once he then went on to be the manager of Port Vale, so you have to sort of, <laughs> again, push them yeah. uh, local rivalries aside, just forget about that bit. <laughs> Never happened. <laughs> <laughs> Um, obviously, he ended his then career at Chelmsford City. Um, now, as a player, obviously, just sort of drawing a line under that sort of playing career there, he was sort of described as somebody who was modern for his time, um, very quick, very intelligent, uh, with a great sort of passing ability, including good dead ball delivery from what I gather. So, yeah, he seems a, a very sort of complete player there. <laughs> yeah, I think that's... And it's very... As, I think the, the 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 wording modern for his time is very important too because the whole fitness thing and the whole the how he's played how his career did span such a long time um and I think I could, we'll talk about a little bit more how his his I guess his philosophy of how what players should do um I think it is very different to the players in the 30s and in the 40s yeah, you say you think that um, obviously the, you know, everything's changed and it since that time. You know the balls, the balls are completely different. The boots, the pitches, um, you know the, the technology, the, the speed, and everything. So you think he maybe was playing the game maybe twenty years later, but back then kind of thing. You, you think he would have maybe yeah. benefited in coming in an era later on? Yeah, definitely. I think so. I think. I think his his philosophy definitely would have been more more to the modern um, game, um, or twenty or thirty years after he actually stopped playing. Um, I think, like even when I speak to some of his family members, they they recall stories about when he, they started seeing for Christmas, and he was like a sixty seventy year old, and he was still pretty hinged, pretty ripped, and still doing press ups. Uh, in the garden and things so he was he kept himself very 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 trim very very you know very very fit even to old age yeah and i imagine like you say being sort of modern for his i mean it was a long time after that really that 
that fitness and and, and like say keeping yourself in shape and that really came into football. I mean, even in the seventies, there's a lot of, especially in English football anyway, like a big drinking culture, wasn't there, and stuff like that. So he's sort of been way before you know it's sort of how he was living and how he was keeping himself in shape. Sort of precedes that sort of time even, doesn't it? Until sort of the eighties and probably the the nineties when the Premier League started. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I would 100% agree with that. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Yeah. He sort of ended his, his football career as a player, but he had a very, very long and sort of uh, vast managerial career into going into numerous places. Um, he tried to get the challenge for a job. And so didn't didn't quite really work out that did he didn't quite get that one, and the club he sort of ended his career at, and then but he did give him the chance to then go and be an international manager, and he actually took charge of Norway to the Olympic Games. Yeah, that's correct. Yep, he played. Uh, he he managed. It was he was still manager for very long because uh, back then I think the, it was a knockout um, system, so I think he managed one or two games before he got knocked out. Um, and then he went on to to manage in in Scandinavia, um, and we actually a few months ago because um, we did some research for a, um, a radio documentary that we made, uh, and we went to Stockholm uh, and we went to Jurgardens IF, uh, where he actually won the Swedish um, Swedish title there with his team. And I think I want to bring us back to talking about his his philosophy a bit because it's really interesting when I was talking to the people at at your gardens that he was known as um, well the team now is known as the Steelers um, because of the the sort of training regime that that Frank actually put them through to make him a lot more fitter a lot more um, I think one of the, the the players were saying that they they always won the second half. Um, due to this, you know, and I feel it's it's interesting to see how he was as a player and how he kept himself like that and how he projected that onto his teams. Um, And yeah, he was successful. Um, But at the cost of, I feel a lot of times that he would do this for teams, but the players might not be as receptive to this. And then I guess he probably robbed up Robbed players the wrong way, um, up the wrong way a lot, and then he he was only stay at teams for one or two seasons before he moved on. Um, but I think that is it comes back to what we were saying earlier about how he's probably 
a bit early for his time because obviously nowadays that's that's part and part of course really when you're a player you have to look after yourself you have to you know fitness is an important thing but i think back then as a team it wasn't a thing that they did um and i think frank was the one who actually created a lot of these things to to modernize some of these clubs yeah i think you you would probably say the players back then Whereas, like you say, today it should be the norm and it should be accepted. But then they think, what, what's this guy doing? What's he trying to make us yeah. doing? What's, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, I, I no see... drinking after the game. What? <laughs> yeah. No drinking during the game. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I did see like one of the quotes said that he was described as, an inverted commas, a sort of a slave driver. And that sort of fits yeah. into what you were saying there. And I mean... That you to me that usually means that he demands high standards and maybe some people can't quite handle that, can they? <laughs> yeah, that's it. I think it's, it wasn't just that year gardens. Um, one of the last teams that he he managed uh, was um, in Denmark um, Academy Bowls Club, um, and during the time he was a manager, they didn't really get much success. But it was after he left. That started their period. They had like a ten-year period of of just winning loads of things. So I guess it's one of those things which just sets sets yeah. the club in that set, sort of same position that the so the right sort of uh, direction, I guess. Yeah, he sort of laid the foundations there for them, and then some. The next guy in charge is probably the benefits. Yes. Benefits yeah. Of yeah. Them. <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, he he sort of uh, he managed in Italy, Finland, Sweden, Norway, Denmark, England, of course, um, and the it was obviously we mentioned he was in charge of Norway for for a short brief period, uh, but he also very very nearly took charge of both Israel and Hong Kong, but both fell out of bed right at the end, didn't they? Um, I've actually recently seen a letter from um so stanley rouse actually that goes to um frank where i think a lot of the things was a, a money issue because i think frank had a, the idea in his mind that it was, it's a professional game and you know to be paid professionally and i think a lot of times at that that era of football around the world it was more of an amateur game um so i think basically a lot of these uh, like the Israel FA or the Hong Kong FA, they probably didn't have the funds to actually hire him. And I think that's where a lot of it fell through. And I know there's, there's been quite a few occasions where, um, sort of researching here, where he's maybe butted heads with people and then ended up moving mm. on. And mm. I, he strikes me as somebody who knew his worth and he wasn't prepared yes. to sort of back down on that. He's like, you know, I I know what I'm valued at. I know how much I feel I'm worth. And that's what either you're going to give me that or you're going to, um, you know, provide me with what I want or need or I'll go somewhere else where somebody else will. Yeah, I, I think I, in my own research, I think I, I get that same sort of feeling, definitely. Um, and I, I think that's, probably not very common for people back then but maybe that takes us back to that whole idea of professionalism and and maybe he being a bit too to i mean if he had a if he had an agent back then maybe he would have got you know <laughs> so you know do you know what I mean that is it's it's very hard to judge these things too because we are talking about something that happened you know 50 60 years ago where time was well, things were very different back then i guess 
obviously, I mean, after everything he'd done with football, he, he did end up sort of settling back in Stoke on trend and he returned. Um, as it's quite a, without sort of thinking, a lot of people who sort of come into Stoke-on-Trent end up sort of sticking around with the football club and that end up sticking around the area in one form or another. And obviously, like I say, he returned back to Stoke um, before he sadly passed away in 1991. Yeah, so I think on, on my part, I don't... There is a, a bit of a gap in our research and I hope that today and talking on your podcast would be a really good opportunity to ask any um stoke city fans who remember or anyone yeah if anyone who remembers him about his time when he was at stoke or, and at the end of his life if they remember much about him to come forward and and you know and talk about it because it's, it'll be amazing for me to to know more about him so i mean a lot of my information is is the statistics is the newspaper um newspaper records but it's really, really it'll be really, really nice to have more personal things knowing about you know how he might have you know been a neighbor or been at certain places and and had those interactions which you, you can't get from from things like newspaper cuttings yeah more sort of like a personable um kind of experiences with people i like say something that maybe hasn't been reported that would be like say fresh fresh and um like fresh information to yourself. It, yeah, yeah, definitely. His legacy still lives on. I mean, we 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 talked earlier on, didn't we, about uh, obviously the the fact he played for England and he's still uh, the only player of, of East Asian descent to play for England. Um, uh, he's got a street named after him on the side of the yeah. old stick ground. So obviously, where the Victoria Ground used to stand, where where Frank would have played, you know, so many times. Uh, there's now a, a sort of a housing estate has been built on the, on that site, and and one of the name one of the streets is named after him. Yeah, no, and and I've got to say a big thank you to the people at the council, um, Second Trent Council, and they made that happen. Um, especially uh, Anton's councillor Andy Platt, um, who's been a really really supportive of of helping build Frank's legacy and telling his story. Um, and also we're in talks now with the council of, of further ways that we can um, celebrate Frank and his impact in, in Stoke. It's for you, yeah, you mentioned there you're a Watford fan. I know that obviously uh, I remember on the last day to see the jigsaw pieces all fit together now. Yep. <laughs> I remember <laughs> on, the, on the last day of last season um, there was a tribute one there at Vicarage Road. Yes. Uh, That's right, yeah. And Watford met. I mean, I take it, did you have uh, something to do with that then, with the foundation? Uh, it, just a little, yes. <laughs> it's been great because we we want to try and and tell his story as much as we can in in any way possible, really. So that piece was that tribute was um, to commemorate his, um, his first England match that he played, um, which was in May nineteen forty two. Um, so so it, it 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 was quite fortunate that it fell on the same day as um state played watford and with the connection that I had in watford already we could we did something for that um so yeah and we're as i said previously we, we've done we've made a um radio documentary uh which i hope I'll, I'll give you the details and put it on your the show notes um there's also a book um the wanderer the story of frank sue by susan gardner where um that is the most 
was the best um, biography of his life, really, because no one else has done as much research into it. And without this research, me personally, I wouldn't have known about Frank. Like before I knew about this book, I, I've been doing things in grassroots football for about 10, 15 years now. And I'm in, in the Chinese and the East Asian communities. And I knew nothing about Frank. And then when I found out about his story, I knew I had to tell it. I knew I had to be part of it. So yeah, there's, there's a book. Um, and yeah, we're, we're always striving to find other ways to, to celebrate his his legacy and what he's done, really. So the foundation itself, is it about seven years since it's set up? Yeah, that's correct. So is, is it yourself? Did you, were you the sort of the founder of it or were you alone? Yeah, or? yeah so there's a few of us. So as I said, um, I have been involved in grassroots um, football and a lot that the, the, there was a few of us who got together and we created this foundation. Um, and yeah, so we've, we've got three main aims. Um, the first aim is to tell Frank's story. Secondly, is to work with other East and Southeast Asian communities to help build better communities. And then finally, to help anyone else from an East or Southeast Asian backgrounds in their aspirations in football whether it's to be a player a coach uh, a fan um, anything really um, I myself I've I'm also working for the FA so it's all part of what I'm doing for the FA is helping with the foundation or helping get more coaches involved um, in football from underrepresented communities and that includes East and Southeast Asian communities um, so, yeah, we've got quite a, a wide breadth of of things that we're trying to do, as well as telling the story. Um, we do lots of um, community football um, for kids. So we'll bring kids from East and Southeast Asian communities together, uh, have some coaches for them and just do, you know, get them involved in football. And hopefully they'll fall in love, in love with football as much as as we do i mean i'm, I'm sure you you have yeah, a passion yeah. for football too <laughs> so yeah, i think people people from east and southeast asian backgrounds don't usually have the opportunity not for their not their own fault or for whatever fault but they just don't have that opportunity sometimes to to play as much football or be involved in football or even know what's out there and i think what we're trying to do is to just bring bring everyone together bring you know bring bring my community into the wider footballing community um so yeah that's that's a huge part of of what we do yeah um obviously you say that you're working with the fa so how how receptive have they been if they, do, have you been impressed by how much they want to get involved and, and help you spread sort of the word of what you're doing yeah no i think the thing with the fa i'm not i've got to be careful because i do work for them so. <laughs> but um <laughs> yeah no they they are very receptive and i feel that is a it is a very big organization with different people doing different things and there are loads of areas where they might not have that same sort of um, concentration on them, I guess. And I hope what I'm doing is to bring bring our, bring our a voice for Frank and bring a voice for our communities into the FA and say, oh, maybe, you know, you should work with these things, but do, do things for our communities too, as well as doing all the other great work that they do with other communities. 
Um, so no, generally I think they are very receptive, especially in the coaching side, in the trying to, you know, encourage more people into coaching. Um, I think you're trying to ask me about the, uh, the unofficial or the, the caps and the uh, nine games that he played because that's um that's a big thing for us too at the frank c foundation where we do want to ask for recognition even though he is recognized in the sense that he did play for england he still hasn't had that cap um and i think i'm hoping with the work that i'm doing with them that it is a case of getting to the point where we can you know where because i think it's not it's not just frank there are other players who are in a similar situation where they've played at that time, but not got that recognition. And I think what would happen too is if you go to Wembley Stadium um, outside, there's like a the wall that says, you know, whoever played and when, when they had their debut. And there's a big gap where um, 1939 to 45 during the war. And um, so I think there are there are many players well there are other players who probably are in that gap but then you'll sort of you sort of need to figure out what does that mean for them too and what it means for the other the players who played afterwards and how many caps would they get so there's i think there's a there's a bit of a a logistic sort of issue there um but on the other hand i think the FA have been starting to give um, honorary caps. So last year they gave an honorary cap to uh, Jack Leslie. So he was a he played in the twenties. He played for Plymouth Argyle, and he got called up by the FA to represent England. But they then found out he was black, and then he got uncalled. Um, so oh, wow. last year he did get. <laughs> so yeah, that's a totally different, massive story too. Actually, um, so the he did get an honorary cap uh last year from the fa and i think recently too that the um one of the women's teams that played in the 70s they all got honorary caps um that was during the time when there wasn't women's football in in england um and they they played in the i think it was the world cup or european cup um so they all got caps so there is there is precedent for awarding honorary caps um so i guess yeah this i think we we are looking into this and then it is something that we would we would talk to the fa to to try and get uh, yeah fantastic well best of luck with that um i think it's probably only to, to, to me it's always it, it's uh on the face of it, it always seems fair that he pulled on the shirt he wore you know wore the three lines and that so yeah. he should have the same recognition you know whether it was wartime or not it's the game's a game isn't it <laughs> game of football yeah, yeah. game of football if anything, it was more important then because of of the impact it had on on the people, I guess, because there was no other entertainment really. So football was still such an important thing to keep the country going for morale during the war. So it, it was very important. One hundred percent. What what do you uh, what are you for the future then for the Frank Sue Foundation? What what's what's the uh, the dream, if you like? Um. What's the dream for us? I think it's just it's a continuous sort of um, encouraging more people to know about his story, encouraging more people to to be involved from our community to be involved in football and um, more short term things. So, as you mentioned earlier, that we were we're going to have like a event um, this Friday um, at the Kingsway pub uh, to celebrate Frank's Frank's story. We're going to have a few guest um, speakers to talk about Frank. Um, and also 
a bit about diversity in in Stoke City and Stoke and Stoke and Trent, um, and also um, just hot off the, hot off the presses. Uh, on the match on Saturday, we will be having um, some. The, the club will be doing something to commemorate Frank's um, debut. Um, we don't know completely what's happening yet because there is quite a lot of things happening on that game because it is the closest game to Remembrance Day. So we're we're still talking to the club to see how we're going to fit everything in, really. Um, and also, if you went to the um, the family stand, you see actually a mural. I'm not sure if any of your your listeners have seen this already, that there is actually a mural of Frank at the stadium. Um, so if you guys are around, please, you know, take a picture, you know, hashtag whatever, just get get involved. So, yes, the, and I'm hoping in the future that we, you know, we do more things in Stoke um, to to increase participation from people from the East Asian communities. Um, and also, yeah, I mean, there's there's also other media uh, mediums that we would like to to explore to tell Frank's story, whether it's you know more podcast or more um, I don't know film or TV or whatever. So yeah, no, there's 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 a lot of things that we have bubbling in the background that we're trying to trying to put together. Fantastic! And um, if anybody sort of wants to get in touch with you, I know you said you you're look, always looking to sort of expand your knowledge of of Frank and his sort of life and career and everything. Um, how can they sort of get in touch with you? How's the best way? Yep, you could email me at alan.lau at the frankcfoundation.org.uk. And we're also on all the social medias, like so Twitter um, and Instagram. Twitter is at FC Foundation. Instagram is the Frank C Foundation. Fantastic. Um, we'll we'll link those as well in the in the show notes, sort of to this podcast as well. Uh, make it even easier for people to sort of come and find you guys. Um, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Well, thank you um, for your time. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. It's been great, sort of knowledgeable for me, sort of you know preparing for this as well as talking to yourself and sort of learning a lot myself about Frank because you you hear that we've heard the name and and you sort of get bits and bobs said so it's it's now it's been great for me to sort of learn a lot more about sort of say Frank and his his career and um yeah I'm sure that we will we will drop in with you again at some point mate to see how everything's going uh, but yes, thank you, thank you for your time and uh, good luck yeah. for Friday and and Saturday now. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And yeah, it's been it's been a pleasure. Thank you. The Talksport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. 
Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.